0: Today on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast, we're going to be joining Beau Bray and Pastor Brian as they conclude their series, "Gospel Centered Discipleship." Welcome, everybody, to the last class, "Gospel Centered Discipleship" with Brian and Beau. Um, glad you guys are here. Uh, it's the last week, so uh, what we're gonna do? Take some time um, to finish up a little bit of the book. So if you've been reading with us, we've covered through last week, uh, chapter five. Tonight we're gonna talk through chapter six. Um, Bo's gonna lead us through that, and then we're gonna act like chapter seven and eight don't exist. So uh, they are good. I don't. I don't want to like dissuade you from reading them yourself. Um, but in chapter 7 and 8, uh, Dodson begins to flesh out like into practical methods what he would recommend when it comes to how to actually then make disciples. We've talked a lot of the last few weeks about sort of theologically, philosophically, what is discipleship, what is disciple-making, why is, why is it important, and then he puts that into his own form, something he calls fight clubs, um, which you can feel a lot of the language of fighting uh, why he would choose that that name for those groups um, in some of the other chapters, especially chapter 2. But uh, it is not wh- the way we've chosen to do things here at the church. A lot of his ideas we've actually taken. We've just sort of named him something different. So anyway, we're going to cover chapter 6, and then we're going to talk about sort of uh, our model for how we would love for you to practice these things that we've learned um, here within our church. And then we'll uh, answer any questions you guys have and, and be all done. So kind of a summary conclusive week for us and we hope that at the end of it all you guys will be ready to go and make disciples. We'll we'll see about that.
1: Yeah so uh, first part for me tonight as we get going will be more practical application for us specifically as we are disciples and then as a punt to Brian here in a minute we'll dive into on to practical application of making other disciples, so kind of a little, little nuance there. So I got to stand up. I can't sit down. I'm yeah, sorry. Man. I'm sorry. I got to do it. I've been sitting down all day. Oh, yeah. See, look at you. Fair warning tonight. I hope your wrists are loose because I feel like tonight is going to be like book drop recommendation night. I'll tell you right now. You brought a stack. Because I was like, we did not coordinate this, by the way. So yeah. Yeah, especially since I've harped, you know, like on weeks that, like, you know, the Holy Spirit is all you need for discipleship. And so, hey, here's 73 more books for you to go read. So there you go. All right. So over the past few weeks, like Brian said, we've talked uh, theology, we've talked uh, framework of being a disciple, we've talked uh, an accurate understanding of what we mean here at Emmaus about the discipleship and our, I'll say, our, uh, our ecclesiology on how we live that out. Uh, here. So, again, like I mentioned before, our uh, topic tonight is really going to be application. Uh, that's the part that I'm going to be talking about. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, for discipleship for yourself. So, um, right out of the gate, you, does everybody have uh, handouts? Everybody has them already? Okay. So, let's dive in uh, because we've got to get after this because I'm going to go really long and not going to leave him with much time. So, um, all right. So the three areas that we're converted um, when the gospel converts us. So these are your blanks to start with. This is what we're going to be building off of. So we're converted to Christ. We're converted to uh, to the church. And we're converted to the mission. So to Christ, to church, and to mission. So all three of those areas are what we're going to dig into a little bit more tonight. So what I want to start out with is that I want to make sure that we're looking through all of these with a particular view I want us to look at these through the lens, if you will, of community, right? Because we talked last week about the Trinity specifically. So our God is inherently a God of community, 3 and 1, 1 and 3, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's almost impossible to see how the gospel converts us apart from community. All right. So consider it for a moment. Like, How are you pointed to Christ? Like someone has to point you there, right? Uh, what, John 14, I believe? You know, how will they know if they have not heard? How will they hear if no one is sent to teach them? How, how will somebody be sent if no one sends them, right? So the way that you hear and are converted to the gospel is through community. Um, how else? How do you become invested in uh, your church and are changed through it? Well, through community. Uh, how are your hearts changed so that, you know, Lord willing, we live by the Holy Spirit? Well, through community. So community. Um, and again, all right, here's the first book drop. Sorry. Brad House community, Uh, specifically taking your small group off life support. I think I've read this thing like three times now. It's very. I I, obviously I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't think it was good, but I believe that it helps. uh, It helps my understanding of really what it means to do community with other people because I think I had some misunderstanding. going on in my heart and some misapplication going on there, so this helped me flesh some of that out. So Community by Brad House, that's the, that's the first first thing. So, and I will tell you this, from my and this is just on personal experience. This is just Bo talking, <laughs> not Bible, not Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the things that I've seen throughout my whole life is community is the thing that has grown me the most as a Christian. Uh, hands down. Um, again, just like everything else that I get fired up about, I, that's why I get fired up about talking about this because I've seen community change me so much. I've, cha- I've seen community change uh, my wife, our, our, even our little kids, uh, them being in community just for their few, you know, short years that they've been alive. So community is something that is paramount to me and my family. So I, I kind of have the saying that I throw out sometimes and I, I say community is the breeding ground for discipleship. I like to throw that out a lot because that's really where kind of the discipleship happens, I believe. So it's like, you know, if you want to become a disciple, yeah, do it with other people. So I I fully believe that really community is being is a basic tenet here of uh, of understanding the gospel as well. And I would go so far as to say that if you don't understand community like gospel community, you don't really get the gospel either. So, I mean, it's very clear that scripture calls us to community. And so uh, Hebrews 10, 24, 25, uh, if you want to jot this down, uh, I'll read it. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir one another up uh, to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together. If you're cool with writing in your Bible, underline that phrase, as is the habit of some. So people are being called out because they neglect meeting with other believers uh, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So uh, here Hebrews is saying that uh, your community focus should not decrease or even remain the same. Your focus on community should do nothing but increase. And your desire to be in community with other believers as a disciple should increase. So again, some neglect, some neglect community uh, because we believe that we're mistakenly called to something different. Oh man, I was not going to say this, but I'll say it anyway, is that I've had so many conversations with people um, that they're like, man, I love Jesus, um, but you know, I, I'm not really involved in a, in a church. I'm like, <laughs> do you love Jesus? It's really my question. I mean, do you really understand what the gospel is? Do you understand the heart of God? So I, I'll give a little example about this really quick and I'll use one for my, my past instead of using one for, for right now. So we, uh, m- my family and I, we moved here up to Gwinnett uh, around, uh, what was it, about three and a half, three years ago. Something like that. So we moved up from Warner Robbins, where we were there for about four years. Um, And while we were involved in our church there, um, it was Sojourn Church, hands down. um, At that point in my life, it was the, um, I will say, the best, and I'll explain what I mean when I say best in a minute, uh, experience of community that I had ever experienced in my life. It was very transformative for me. Uh, Me and my family, we were encouraged well, we were challenged well, we were confronted well, um, we were loved well, we were taught well. And so, I look at that example in my own life to say that, you know, community is absolutely true. Like I've tasted and seen that the Lord really is good in community. And that's how I believe that, you know, Lord, (laughs) the Lord's grace has been shown to me that I've grown as a disciple. So it it was extremely impactful. But that being said, I mean, I mean, don't get it twisted. It wasn't like all positive experiences and everything. I mean, I said words like, you know, confronted and (laughs) corrected. As well, right? So uh, that actually brings us to the next point that I wanted to want you to jot down is that uh, <clears throat> in order to be a disciple, first and foremost, you must be in constant community uh, with other disciples. So I, I think that we've hit on this already, but you've got to be in community with other disciples. And just because you're in community with other disciples does not mean that it will be perfect and fantastic and nothing but positive experiences. Matter of fact. Um, I guarantee you, if you, you know, believe the Bible and do what it says, that there will be some weird, awkward tensions that you have to live in when you got to confront other people and other people need to confront you when you need to challenge, when you need to encourage. So that, that's going to happen. Uh, so that statement there with your blanks are just an application here, essentially, from, from Hebrews 10. Uh, so I don't know really what that looks like for you specifically. I've got some ways here that we believe this plays out here at Emmaus. Specifically, uh, we offer MCs, obviously. Um, That's one way that it plays out. So maybe you are more intentional about being involved in an MC. If you are, maybe you are involved in an MC, uh, but you have not found people that you've connected with. Uh, Fix it. (laughs) Find people that you're connected with. That would really be my encouragement to you. Like, don't hang out with people that you are not connected with and cannot do life with. Like, find them. Like, we have so many different types of people here at Emmaus uh, that, like, I I, I guarantee you would have a really difficult time, like, not finding someone that you can connect with. So, find people that you can connect with, that you can fight sin with, that you can pray with, Uh, encourage, they can encourage you. Uh, So, that absolutely is application. Uh, And remember not to be naive about this. I talked about this a second ago, but uh, community is so deeply foundational and impactful that being in community is also a huge, huge investment. It's a huge investment, Uh, specifically in the area of of biblical community. uh, It's not free. Like, I want to be very clear about this. It, It is not free at all. Uh, Some people say that it costs you something on being in community as a disciple. Some say that it's even a sacrifice if you're a disciple. Um, So some call it an investment, right? So uh, think of Luke 14, and I actually wanna read that for us here. So Luke 14, 25 through 33, jot this one down as well. Uh, Luke 14, 25 through 33 says, now great crowds accompanied him, him being Jesus, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king was going to go out and encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other's a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So we could talk a lot about the words of Jesus there, but I want us to have two, two thoughts here, two key takeaways from this that I think are really important for us to realize and being able to apply this. Number one, Jesus is not calling for spectators to be his disciples. Hopefully you've gotten this over the past several weeks. And discipleship is not a spectator sport. You don't, so there's no sidelines. There's only the game. Like th- that's it. Um, he, Jesus is literally, <laughs> I like sports language, uh, so he's literally recruiting people to be involved. Uh, he's saying that there's, there's a price to pay if you follow me. Some will pay it and some will not. So there's no spectators. There's no people that get to sit back and watch. Either you count the cost and you decide to do it or you decide not to. Second thought is this. Understand that you really should count the cost of being a disciple, even if you already won, uh, to see if it's going to be something that you're willing to pay. Because if you've been a Christian more than a hot second, you understand that following Christ is, can be full of suffering. It can be full of pain, um, but simultaneously can be full of joy. Uh, But understand that living in the gospel community and being a disciple, it ain't free. It'll actually cost you something. So understand that second point here because we should really think through this, I think at a very, very deep level. I don't know about you but when I hear something and I need to think through it and process it and, and ask man, am I am I really doing that? I like asking questions to myself. I'm weird. I know, I get you talk it. To I do. I really I, I do a lot. And specifically, I ask questions of myself and then even weirder, I answer my own questions with other questions. So, let's do that now. <laughs> so, here's my question to all of you to think through this and to process this. All right. Who are you in community with? at Emmaus Church. I'm not being hypothetical. I'm not being generic. um, I'm not being philosophical. I'm asking you a very specific question. You don't have to answer me as you answer in your own heart. Who are you in community with here at Emmaus Church? Who are you intentionally gathering with, sharing life with? Who? And let me be clear. I'm specifically asking you for people at this local body, at Emmaus. I'm not asking you right now about maybe, maybe your childhood friends, maybe your other close friends outside of Emmaus. I'm not asking you about that right now. I'm asking you about who you are involved with at Emmaus that you are doing life with and being discipled by and discipling. And if you're thinking, Bo, there's not really anybody here at Emmaus that I'm doing life with. I'm not going to drop the hammer on you, neither is Brian. We want to encourage you to get involved with community and being a disciple with other people here at our local body. Because if we take a minute and step back at what we've been blessed with and God's providence here at Emmaus, we've really been given something very special, right? You're in a church that encourages uh, like crazy gospel community, right? I mean, we, we're sitting in a class right now during the summer when everybody else is doing, I don't know, lake life, I guess. I guess that's what you do in the summer, right? Um, And we encourage biblical community like crazy because we want you to follow Jesus. Um, And our church makes this a priority. We talk about it all the time. We have people that get paid to talk about it all the time, Um, and like that's how big of a deal that we make it. So I mean, please understand that we are extremely blessed to be in a church that loves Jesus and take the word very seriously and prioritize this. So. All right, that's my little diatribe on that, but, um, so. And did you know? Uh, nope, nope, nope. So, for instance, because I know what you're going to say. Uh, so, if you're not involved in a missional community, <laughs> which is probably what you're getting ready to say, <laughs> registration kicks up <laughs> for those in weeks. just a few short weeks. And I hear there's a pretty cool one in Bethlehem, too. I'm just saying. So, anyway. Other side of the moon. The other side of the moon that's right. Far side of the moon. All right, so uh, back to thinking through the cost of, of being a disciple here for a minute. Dodson addresses this scenario, kind of back to the whole asking questions to figure out, you know, where your heart is. Dodson actually does this over on page 111. I don't know if you read the story or not, but it, I, it, it's pretty profound to me, at least I believe it is. So he's dealing with this question about, you know, all right, cool, I, I'm, I'm digging this whole thing, right? We should be involved with others deeply. I get that, yeah. And someone asked him the question, Great. Uh, do we have to meet every week? Can't we just meet every other week in our group? Right? Fair question, not criticizing the question. I've asked that question, very fair question. Dodson responds, I think, very uh, fantastic answer. He says, how can we be family if we only gather once every two weeks? I'm not telling you this to recommend a frequency. I'm telling you this to search your heart. The only way that you can be family with someone is if you're actually involved with them. That's it, right? It's kind of like the example that I gave before. You can, it's possible to have someone live in your house, and you know them, but you don't actually know them. It's the same concept. All right. So back to the sacrifice, even more here that it it takes to be a disciple, Um, the investment that it takes. It's going to cost you something. You're going to pay with your time. You're going to pay with your privacy. You're going to pay with uh, being inconvenienced and gasped. You're going to pay with your money because like, you know, paying to eat meals with other people, paying for stuff, like it it costs you things more than just your little inconvenience. It it literally costs money too. So when we make the investment, I think that we something, uh, we see something very specific happen within us. Um, And that's again where we started. So the three areas, Alan, how are we doing on time? we are doing on time? Okay, 7 o'clock. All right. So the three areas uh, we're converted to, to Christ, to church, and to mission. So all of that to lead up to this, um, because think about this. When we're converted to become a Christian, we're converted um, through the gospel, right? We're converted through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're converted through the Word of God. But we're also converted to something, right? So when, you know, God takes that heart of stone and pulls it out and gives us that heart of flesh, He actually sends us in a completely different direction than we were going to begin with, right? So we're converted to something. So we've talked about the first one, I I believe, a lot. So being converted to Christ. So uh, let's talk about converted, being converted in Jesus' church and converted into His mission. Uh, So uh, check out page 109 really quick if you have your book. Ooh, I brought an illustration too. Hold on. I get really jazzed up about this. Here's my illustration. <laughs> page 109, right? I think that's what I said. Yep. All right, he says this. So he says, those who have been converted to, uh, converted to Jesus are converted to his body. To reject our conversion to the church is to disobey the head and distort his body. We are not converted to a disembodied head. We are converted to an embodied Christ, which includes head and body. Unfortunately, many of us have a disembodied Jesus, perhaps a bobblehead Jesus, all head and very little body. Who knew that I had a bobblehead Jesus hanging out on my bookshelf with me? I think this is a really good visual illustration to show something very crucial in all of our lives, that we are connected to obviously Jesus and his body, to both of them. So if Jesus' bride is the church, we are connected to both of them. So if we are not and we are only connected to one, we're at best disproportionate, right? We look funny. You know, you ever see a person that walks around that clearly skips leg day? Have you ever seen that? I call them, I call them an orange on toothpicks, right? They clearly skip leg day. So they're disproportionate. That's what happens if we are only converted to Jesus and not his church or vice versa. All right, here's your next blank too. Uh, so Jesus is the head of the church who lived, died, and rose again to create a community of disciples that mirror his glory through an interdependence on each other. All right, so we already hit on interdependence of each other through, uh, through each other, sorry, as disciples. What's that? Say it that? again. Yep, absolutely.
0: Uh, no, no, I
1: gotta get my blanks. I gotta get my blanks. No, I'm with you. Jesus is the head of the church who lived, died, and rose again to create a community of disciples, you're gonna pour that on me because it's like no. 97 degrees it up in here. Really I'm, I'm sorry, I got it. I got distracted. Jesus is the head of the church who lived, died, and rose again to create a community of disciples that mirror his glory through interdependence on each other. All right, so that's interdependence on each other as disciples. Um, but let me ask you yet another question, so you can kind of see where your heart is on this: um, <clears throat> your interdependence on other people. What non-Christians are you currently in community with? What non-Christians are you currently in community with? I think as followers of Christ, sometimes we have this temptation to be around nothing but people that are already exactly like we are. Think the same way we do, look the same way we do, have the same worldview as we do, and we never actually make it a point to be converted to Jesus's mission. So how are you doing in that area? How are you doing in the area of being in community with those that are not already like you? Uh, I think about this all the time. I I think because this is pretty convicting when I ask myself this question. And, you know, people ask me how I'm doing in this area. And I'm, I don't know, kind of have a built-in mechanism. I'm around a ton of pagans at work. It's fantastic. I love it um, because I get to talk to Jesus and they, or talk about Jesus. And, man. You, they literally think I'm speaking another language, like, you know, Klingon or something like that. It's, it's fantastic. They have no paradigm for Jesus. Um, God is not a passing thought in their minds. And uh, I don't know. But how are you doing in that area? Are you actually involved with people that don't know Christ? So I think that this really, how you answer that question kind of really exposes your heart, too, by the way. And this is the part that can really feel uncomfortable about how we feel about evangelism when it comes to discipleship. Next one, master plan of evangelism. If you have not written this down, I think you had this over there too, didn't you? Yeah. I went first. Both
0: brought books tonight.
1: Yep, we did. So, So master plan of evangelism. So, uh, again, discipleship is made up of multiple parts, like Brian talked about during uh, week three. Uh, And so, how are you doing in this area? Uh, we all believe that our mission here at Emmaus is Jesus' great commission that he gave us in Matthew 28, right? Like we established that as like the ground rules here during week one, right? Uh, and so when we talk about being on mission, because we use that language here at Emmaus, we have missional communities. We, you probably hear the terminology being thrown around a lot, so that's what we're talking about. <clears throat> and so when Jesus sent his disciples out, he literally sent them on a mission, right? He gave them something to go do. And we've been given that same command. And this is the next, uh, the next blank set. So as a disciple, our job is to take up the mission that Jesus gave us, which is to point all people to him. So if you think about this, again, back to the sports terminology, because I'm one of those crazy sports people. Um, <clears throat> I like thinking of it like this. There's a little segment that uh, they run on a lot of sports shows all the time. If you watch any sports networks or anything like that, more specifically, there's this uh, segment that is mine and my wife's favorite one to watch every Saturday morning in the fall on college game day, and it's called You Had One Job. And I love it. It, it. it shows people doing ridiculous things, right? Maybe like a football player forgot to, I don't know, hypothetically, carry the ball across the goal line and dropped it before he ran in the end zone and didn't get the score of the touchdown. Sorry, pain point for Georgia fans in the room. Um, so you had one job. All you had to do was score a touchdown. Or maybe, you know, you've seen uh, like a basketball player like accidentally shoot the ball in the hoop on the, you know, <laughs> other team's hoop, right? Um, so <clears throat> really all that is is just a phrase that says, man, this person had like a temporary lapse in judgment and did the exact opposite of what we we're supposed to do. So this is kind of how I want to, you know, like I want to apply this to the discipleship at times. And it's like, disciple, you've got one job. <laughs> you have one job. And that's the mission of Jesus to point other people to him. So sometimes when I hear, you know, conversations of people getting wrapped up in, I'll say, second-handed tertiary issues that we can debate over, yeah, great. But let's not forget the primary crux of what we're called to do as disciples, and that is to point all people to Jesus. So to sum this up, land in the plane, land in the plane. I promise, Brian, I'm landing the plane. Page 112, let's jump back in. I got a lot of book quotes tonight, obviously. Page 112. Dotson writes this. He says, when you gather like this, uh, be sure to look for opportunities to talk about the deeper things of life, uh, to love people well by listening to their struggles, doubts, fears. Share how the gospel has helped you in your own struggles, doubts, and fears. Apply the gospel to yourself out loud with non-Christians. Be transparent and authentic with them. Instead of hiding your faith and the deep grace you found in Jesus, talk about it in natural ways. And as you do, be sure to pray to the Lord of the harvest for spiritual fruit and then watch the harvest grow. In summary, the harvest metaphor reveals the three conversions as conversion to the Lord, to the field, and to the harvest Christ, church, and mission. And as we wrap up for this round, I want to make sure that I offer the reminder to you all as we've been talking about these three areas that we don't actually worship the three areas we're converted to, right? Because those three areas don't actually have the power to convert. That's just what we're converted to. So, for instance, um, we're not to worship Jesus' church. The church is Jesus' bride, not ours. We should love her well. That's what we're converted to, to love, uh, give, serve. But we shouldn't worship his church. Secondarily, we shouldn't worship the mission. A lot of people get wrapped up in making ministry their functional savior, their idol no, that's not what we're called to worship either. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus alone deserves our worship. That is it. That is a direct result of knowing Him through the power and the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and lastly, make sure you understand here that as a disciple who desires to walk by the Spirit, in order to worship Jesus, man, follow and walk in the Holy Spirit so that you might glorify Jesus and turn right around and glorify God the Father, so that you're constantly being converted to Jesus, His church, and His mission. I'm done. I'll shut her down for right now. Let's do some discussion questions uh, really quick. Let's see. Um, we got time to do three. give you a bonus one this week. We'll see if we get to it, but yeah. Let's do all three. Three,
0: two, one. Okay. Well, let's um, let's hop in and bring this plane all the way to the ground um, and be all done. Um, okay. So uh, this whole class has been about. Uh, Considering the question of how to make disciples, right? So we we began with the Great Commission, which is where anyone should begin when talking about disciple making. Uh, Christ's command for us individually and corporately. We talked about that week one. Is the fan bothering anybody? Or can you hear me well? Okay, don't want to distract you. It's but going uh,
1: directly on me, if anybody has any yeah,
0: we need an oscillating fans that it will cool everybody off, but. Um, But yeah, Jesus' command in uh, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is a command for all of us corporately as the church. We're to be both Emmaus Church and, and the Christian church globally. We're to be a people who are making disciples. That's to define us. We talked about that a ton. We also talked about it's an individual command. So it's not just a command for Emmaus Church to make disciples. It's a command for you as a member of Emmaus Church to make disciples. And we do it individually, we do it collaboratively, we work together. It's not biblical for us to view ministry as happening by paid staff. That's not how disciple making and discipleship happens. You don't hire a pastor of discipleship in order for disciple making to happen in your church. You hire a pastor of discipleship to equip people to make disciples within your church. I mean, that's the goal. So really, ever since I have come to this church and started to fulfill this role, which now coming up on three years, my goal has been to really explore and answer and develop systems and train leaders and equip people in what it means to make disciples. How do we actually do this? And I am convinced this is your first blank uh, there on the on the back side of your paper. I am convinced that the thing that best produces disciples is disciples. No brainer there, but I believe fully that the best tool that God has given us for making disciples is mature disciples. If we want to see more people step into maturity in Emmaus Church, we need people stepping into maturity in Emmaus Church. Because I believe the height of discipling, uh, of being a disciple, is that you will eventually make disciples. I think all of us, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I believe there's a season of growth where you're growing in your knowledge of God, growing in your knowledge of scripture, growing in your connected with the, connectedness with the church. Uh, your, your spiritual maturity is growing, increasing. There's a moment where you stop being a consumer of discipleship and will begin to be a producer. There'll be this like tipping point where you're no longer somebody other people are pouring into, but you're rather feeding others. We see this in like our natural lives as well, right? Any of you who are uh, parents, Tyler Shugart, perfect example. Tyler had a baby last week, two weeks ago? How old is she now, officially? So I'm shocked that you're here, well done. 100 points for you. But uh, he and his wife just had a baby. His whole life he's been a child. Now he's a parent. A major shift in his life has just happened. He's still a child. I mean, he still has parents who will continue, I'm sure, to, to... I mean, it changes as you become an adult. It changes as you get married. But you still have parents and they still... You know, even in marriage, my mom will sometimes, like, like offer me advice or, or, or say something or cook us a meal. You know, just sort of the, the parenting. You're, you're a parent forever. But you're a child for a season, then you become a parent. You, begin, you stop being somebody who is taken care of and you become an adult who takes care of others. It's the same with our spiritual lives as well. God's created a model by which the world will be populated with disciples and it is other disciples. A few things that this means and a few things it doesn't mean. Two things it doesn't mean. Uh, wh- how are disciples made? I would say not through conferences and events. So the best way, the, w- the way Jesus has sort of commanded us and, and designed for this to happen in our lives is not through conferences or events. I don't think discipleship and, and growing into spiritual maturity can happen in a weekend. I don't think it can happen in a five-week class even. I don't think it can happen you know, in, a, in a 48-hour Disciple Now uh, a weekend if you grew up in, in Southern Baptist churches like me. Uh, discipleship maturity is a slow cooker process. It's not a microwave process. It's like aged cheese, it takes years to cure. How many of you like cheddar cheese? Anybody in the room? I love cheddar cheese, I love making pimento cheese. Man, it's good. So if you go to the store and you buy mild cheddar, you look on it and read the label, it is aged for three months, about two to three months. So cheddar cheese, what makes it taste so good is that it's old, it's literally been aged. They made cheese a few months ago and they're letting it sort of begin to rot and it ages and becomes really flavorful. It's weird, but it's cool. So if you get, if you get like a medium cheddar, it's going to be like six months old. If you get a sharp cheddar where it's got a lot of flavor to it, nine months minimum. There's actually a guy, I was reading this recently, There's a guy in Wisconsin in 2012 who sold a cheddar cheese that had been aged for, drum roll please, 40 years. I don't know what adjective you use to describe that kind of a cheddar really sharp cheddar, extra, extra sharp. I don't know. Um, Tip of the spear, cheddar. but, but the point being a good aged cheese, you can't, it's impossible to create it quickly. The same is true with discipleship. If, if you're going to be a person who's mature spiritually, and if you want to pour into others and mature them, it's not going to be fast. It's not going to be through an event. It's not going to be through a conference. Second thing it's not going to be, it's not going to be through a program. Okay. So, uh, this is a little bit nuanced, but let me try to explain it in my world of pastoring I have friends out there who are also discipleship pastors in other places and I have watched sometimes as they put a lot of eggs into like a, a program like they create like a 10-month program and hey we're gonna get as many people into into these groups as possible um, and, and in 10 months you're gonna mature Now you can set the the timer to it. In 10 months after you do all this curriculum and you do all this homework and you memorize all this scripture, you're going to come out of this thing and you're going to be a fully mature disciple. I love my brothers who do this. I, I think their hearts are pure. I don't see it working. I've even met with some of them like years down the road after they've done this process and seen, yeah, there's a bunch of people who have like graduated and received certificates of some program, but like they're not, they're not leading lost people to salvation. They're not leading immature disciples to maturity. There's no outpouring, producing of discipleship that's happening in their lives. They're still they're just like, you know, immature believers with a certificate now. I don't think you can programatize it. It's not that easy. So even as we get into the specifics in a few minutes about how to make disciples here at our church, I want you to feel the weight of it's not so simple as to have step one point A, and step two, point, point A and point B, and, and I'm going to do these 16 things in these 10 months, and then I'll be done. Making disciples is difficult. It's challenging. It's, it's one step forward and two steps back. If you go read and watch Jesus and how he discipled the 12 through the, the, the Gospels, just go read it. You will watch him be frustrated with the lack of progression over and over again, especially if you read Mark. He is so harsh. Mark just like, I guess, was really accurate with all of his, uh, his writing, uh, a recording of Jesus' words, and he holds no punches as he recounts what Jesus said. Over and over again, Jesus will, will say sharp things, are you still not getting it? Are you, are you so weak? You know, Jesus just sort of, uh, as he's discipling these guys, confronting them in their struggles and calling them forward. It's, it's back and forth, one step forward, two, two steps back. It's not so easy as to be programmatized. So what is it? It's not conferences and events, and it's not programs. What do we do? How do we actually do this? The answer is it's people. It's exactly what Bo talked about. It's relationships. It's community. It's engaging with people, exactly what Jesus did while he was here on earth, in deep relationships, investing in them, sharing life with them, spending time with them, rebuking sin in them, When you see failures being willing to speak up about it in love, speaking truth in love and beckoning them back to obedience, it's eventually releasing them and commissioning them out to go do it themselves. It's investing in people. This is exactly what this whole book, which both Bo and I are recommending to you, Master Plan of Evangelism, that's exactly what it's all about, which one of the reasons I love Robert Coleman... It's called master plan of evangelism. It could equally be called master plan of discipleship because as we've talked about in this class, those are one word, they should be one word. It's one idea. But the point is Jesus, the master, his plan of evangelizing the world, of discipling the world, uh, you'll see him just flesh this out in full in that book. His plan was people. It wasn't a program. His plan was I'm gonna find 12 men who are willing to learn. I'm gonna pour into them as hard as I can, share my life as close as I can for just three years. It's not gonna be 10 months, it's not gonna be two weeks, it's not gonna be a weekend, it's gonna take some time, but I'm gonna invest myself so fully that in those three years, they're gonna grow to maturity and I can then leave, I can entrust the whole rest of the world through all of human history to them. And guess what, since that moment, it's 2019 y'all, there's been two millennia of it working. Jesus' plan is effective, we don't have to wonder if the people process actually works. The reason you know about Jesus today is because the plan works. Investing in people, raising people into maturity is an effective way to make disciples. So uh, that's how it, I think that's your last blank there. The kingdom of God has always advanced through disciple making. This is how it started. This is how it continues to this day. This is how it will continue until Jesus returns. Mature disciples leading new believers into maturity who will then lead new new believers into maturity. You see it, right? It's a a repeating process. It's like the water cycle. If you go back to ninth grade biology and and, and science, you know, the the water in the ground gets evaporated into the air and it becomes a cloud and then it rains down and becomes water again. It, it, It just repeats. That's exactly what we see with disciple making. Immature, becoming mature, who then mature others you get it all clear okay so then the question before all of us is are we doing this you Now, Bo asked you to search your hearts and sort of evaluate your spirits on if you have relationships at Emmaus if you're engaged in community here this would be my question to you how long have you followed Jesus and have you ever done this Have you ever taken somebody alongside you who's younger in the faith, they don't have to be younger in age, but somebody else and said, let's let's do this together. Let's follow Jesus together. Let's get to the point where we're mature and obedient and walking with God. Have you done this? And with that question, I want to pause and let you talk about these discussion questions real quick and then we'll, I'm gonna conclude with giving us this this little thing, I'm walking through it, but um, for the sake of time, no, all three, I will give you the time. We're okay. Here we go. You got 10 minutes. I want you to talk about all three if you will. So somebody become a leader in your group and make sure you don't stall out on any one question, if you will. All right, that was 10 minutes, flew by. Okay, Um, so all of that being said, Bo, if you will help me pass these these things out. What I'd like to do now with our final 10 minutes here, and then we'll take any questions you have, is to just briefly walk through uh, this for you. So this is for you to keep. If you ever want more copies, I'm more than glad to send you the PDF. I'm more than glad to print you as many copies as you'd like. Um, This is, first off, let me sort of give you an overview of what this is. Uh, At the end of the day, I typed this up, uh, but it is not authored by me alone by any means. I have borrowed extensively from Jonathan Dodson, uh, from this guy and this book, uh, Robbie Gallaty, a book called Growing Up, phenomenal book, highly recommend recommend it to you. And also Mark Dever and his book Discipling. Uh, Francis Chan and David Platt has al- have also informed a lot of my views on some of these issues. Uh, so just know this is not just me. Uh, I do my best to cite things that I've borrowed uh, where possible. Um, but I'm not claiming this as my own. This is a lot of people that have helped me think through this. Um, but this is discipleship groups, mostly because I couldn't think of another name for it. This does exist at Emmaus Church. There are several. I don't even know how many discipleship groups there are at Emmaus. I'm the discipleship pastor, but there are several happening at our church right now. Uh, There's a whole, one of the reasons I don't know is the most recent batch just all replicated recently, so I can't even keep up with how many there are now. Um, But it's not a formal program at our church, very intentionally so, and I'll get into that. But, uh, and all that being said, you will never see, I shouldn't say never, Right now. (laughs) Right now, in this season, the foreseeable season of the future, uh, you're not going to see a season where we say, hey, it's time to sign up for discipleship groups. Or uh, hey, would you, uh, would you, I'm not recruiting leaders to come and lead discipleship groups and finding, connecting people with them. Uh, Our desire is for this to be organic, for it to be exactly what we've talked about over these five weeks, intentional investing in others by maturing believers for the purposes of of spiritual growth. Um, And so uh, towards that end, let me walk you through what this looks like. There's two parts to it. The first page is basically everything I'm about to say to you so you can read it later. Um, But page two begins part one. And this is, I called it a biblical definition of disciple making. This is basically my consolidated theology of what disciple making means. So if you wanted a, a four page readable format of the five week class you just took, There you have it. Um, So what is a disciple? We talked about that. What is discipleship? What is disciple making? Uh, We didn't really get into that. You can read it if you want, but what's the difference between the word discipleship and disciple making? I think it's nuanced but important. Um, The next question, who is our discipler? Who disciples us? This is an important question that I do want to talk about. Jesus is all of our disciplers. He is the ultimate person who disciples us all. So even if you're pouring into others, there's some important things in Scripture that teach us you know, Jesus even said, don't, don't call anybody rabbi but me. Don't call anybody teacher but me. I'm the teacher. So our role, even in discipling others, isn't to like be their, their Yoda. It's to point them to Yoda. You know, it's to, to, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to act like we have it all together. We can fail publicly with the people we're discipling because Jesus is our redeemer and he covers our failures. So all that to be said, uh, don't, don't misplace your role in that. Uh, next question, what does disciple making look like? We talked about that. Uh, What does disciple making require? I just want to fly through this one real real quickly because this is really important for all of you who choose to walk in this. Number one, commitment goes back to everything Beau said. Uh, It's costly. Investing in someone's life is not a small endeavor. It's a deep commitment. If you choose to do it, count the cost. Don't walk into investing in people's life if you're not actually willing to be there for them. Uh, Secondly, it requires vulnerability. The best way to undercut the gospel when discipling somebody is to act like you never fail. Let me say that again. The best way to undercut Jesus and the gospel as you're discipling others is to act like you never fail. Vulnerability is required. If we're going to teach people to treasure and to trust and to savor Jesus, we have to be ready to be honest with them about our own heart failures, And perhaps God's led you into a season of success now. Praise be to God for that if he has. But in the seasons where you have failed, be honest with them. Talk them through what it feels like to sin, what it feels like to sin big, what it feels like to repent of those things. Those are important things to share. Number three, uh, it requires patience. Disciple making is not a line of, you know, straight progression. There will be steps forward and steps back. You need to be patient with those that you're discipling. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to not show up when you've made big commitments to actually be there for them. Uh, And sometimes it's going to require you to step into those moments and have hard conversations and beckon them back to faithfulness. Uh, But a lot of it is just going to require patience on your part.
1: Yeah, and one of them that I'm dealing with right now is that uh, even when you have people in your life that want to be a disciple, that get really fired up about this, that want to be discipled by you and make it such a really big deal, uh, and then you meet a couple of times, and then it all falls apart because uh, their commitment to it really wasn't that big enough.
0: And this is absolutely true. Um, make sure it, as you disciple people that they're counting the cost as well. The, the one time years ago, there actually were like formalized programs of D groups at this church. And we had like 30, this is before I got here, but I hear there were like 30 guys that all signed up at once. The church was smaller back then, so that was a good sizable portion of the men. And a um, few groups formed, like five or six groups formed, and they, almost all of them, I think two of them survived, but almost all of them died so quickly. Because a lot of people think they want to grow, but they're not willing to invest to actually do the work required to grow. All of us, I, we're actually going to, I'm preaching Sunday, we're going to talk about this a little bit. The Bible's pretty clear. If you seek for God, you'll find Him. There's actually promises loaded throughout the Bible. God does not withhold Himself from us at all. When we pursue Him with all of our hearts, we get Him, which consequently means we're experiencing in all of our lives as much of God as we want to. The issues usually are a lack of pursuit on our part, not a lack of giving on God's part. So that being true, just know, like, you know, Make sure your, your people that you're pointing into count the cost before they commit. Uh, last one there under what is it going to require grace. Uh, the temptation in pursuing accountability and obedience to Christ will be always be to perform, becoming people who behave rightly to impress our brothers. This goes back to gospel-centered discipleship, all of what week three was about. We've got to be people who learn the language of grace, who learn how to call people to repentance and also forgive them. Like we, we don't let sin go by, but we also don't force uh, perfection out of people with too much harshness. Finding that line of, of gospel-centered grace is so important. Uh, when is disciple-making finished? Uh, never. If it took Jesus three years, you can expect it to take longer than three years. So invest uh, for the long haul. Um, how do I make disciples? Um, that's really where part two comes into play. So there is a lot of ways you can approach making disciples of people. It's always gonna be relationships, it's always gonna be investment, it's always gonna be costly, but you can flesh it out in a lot of different like structures. Part two is a structure that I would recommend. It's not required, you can modify this, you can take what you like and throw out what you don't and make this your own. But this is a structure that I would uh, commend you to. And a lot of it is taken from Robbie Gallaty. I like what he does. It's not fully his, but but a lot of it is taken from him. That's who I borrow from. But basically, let me just summarize. You can read the details. These are small, same-gendered groups of people. So that means if you're a man, you're with men. If you're a woman, you're with women. Three to five people. Three is fine. I would say it's not two people. You can do a... You can disciple somebody if it's one-on-one. It's not a group though, that's just two people. Um, so if you, if you want to start a group, you look for at least two others that you can pour into or, 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 or uh, a few other ones. There needs to be a leader. You do not have to be like fully spiritually mature yourself. You know, Paul and Barnabas were brothers and they discipled each other. It's okay to, to be like in a group of brothers and you're just the leader who's, who's leading us all to walk in Jesus. Um, That works. You can also have the the Paul and Timothy relationship where it's a a true older, wiser man pouring into younger people. Both work, uh, but there needs to be a leader. It's a small group. Um, And what I recommend is right there at the bottom of this page with the table. What I recommend is a, I recommend weekly meetings uh, and I recommend that they have three parts. Number one, gospel-centered accountability. So important that it's not just accountability, it's gospel centered accountability, but like a time of honesty about where you're failing and where you're succeeding. So, if it's this is how I do it with my group of guys, we've all been honest about where our weak spots are in our life, the sins, the temptations we're prone to fall into. And we take, we we walk through a number of questions with each other, but we're prone and we make sure to slow down on the parts where we're weak and to make sure as we go through a given week. You know, okay, let me me actually verbalize, no, I did not look at pornography this week, if that's an area that a certain guy struggles in. So so emphasizing in accountability the places where you know you're weak, making sure you have a, a accountability relationship there. Secondly, sharing from study. So the big thing with these groups that I recommend is that you all adopt a Bible reading plan together. So if there's five people, you're all reading the Bible together. Same verses every day. So, seven day a week reading plan. Somebody in the group needs to come up with the reading plan and give it to everybody, and you're all reading the same stuff every week. So that when you get together once a week, you can share, what was I convicted by? What did God's Word teach me? Remember, Jesus disciples us, and He does it through His Word. So you don't need you know, Joe Schmoe to teach you how to follow Jesus. God's Word will teach you how to follow Jesus. You need to be in God's Word. And having a group that where you're studying it together and growing together is really valuable. So. Uh, Gospel-centered accountability, sharing from what you're studying, and then thirdly, prayer, having time for praying for one another in your areas of struggle and growth. There's a lot more details that follow on how to flesh that out. One thing that's not included in this that I've thought about going back and adding, that I've decided not to, is um, if you want accountability questions. I actually have several. I stole one of them from David Platt a long time ago now. It's not even on his website anymore, but it's like a a short guide like a little single piece of paper of good accountability questions for a group to go through there's a version for guys and a version for girls if you want something like that if you end up starting a group um, let me know and I'd be glad to email that to you that's not in here but everything else is there's a lot more details you can read through it at length later and ask me questions later if you have them but here's the big point God has called you to make disciples how you do that is totally up to you But I pray and I hope that you would be a person who maybe in in the conviction and the learning you've experienced in this class, you would go and walk in that. And if you don't know what to do, use this as a guide. It'll help you along the way. But look, open your eyes. I promise you, each one of you, God has put people in your life around you, be it peers or be it younger people around you who need to be discipled, who need to know Jesus more closely, who need to learn how to Follow the Lord. And for some reason, He called you to this class. And for some reason, you're here at the very end. Let's see what He has. I would love to see 15 groups get going. That'd be a great joy. And you don't need anybody to tell you that you're qualified to do it. Guess who qualified you? Jesus did. When He saved you, when He called you in the Great Commission to be a disciple maker, you're qualified. You got what you need. You got the Holy Spirit inside of you. Let's do it. Let's walk in obedience. So, with that, we have one minute for questions. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, do you have any questions? Any anybody with like a burning question, a big one that's in your mind? Um, I assume you strongly recommend this. I do, yeah. And what I love is when these form out of missional community groups, to be honest. So what's really important, if it's going to work, if it's going to be effective, we've talked about this, it's got to be relationships. I think it works best when you form this with people you already have relationships with. So if you go try to just pick three random people in our church and say, I want to disciple you, it's not going to gel. But that's why I love when they start MC groups is because there's usually a, a level of friendship that's already started, then you go to the guys in the group and say, hey, you, you all want to go deeper? You want to get together on Friday mornings? You want to? You if you have to do every other week, that's fine. If you, if you do an every other week rhythm, I would encourage you to have like a, like if you've got four guys, do a midweek check-in. So like if you're meeting every other Thursday, on the other Thursday, pair up into twos and call each other and see how you're doing. You know, don't, don't wait a full two weeks. But, um, but yeah, people you know for sure. But there are discipleship groups, Adamaeus, that follow different models. And it's totally fine. Go with my blessing. This is not, part two is not the Bible's version for discipleship. That's a version that Pastor Brian thought of. You are welcome to take what you like and drop what you don't and and form that into something else. But it needs to be the Bible. Study the Bible. Don't don't replace Jesus' words and the Holy Spirit's words with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is brilliant. I commend you to them. Don't forget the Bible. Let it be supplement to the Bible. Don't let it replace. Anything else? Well, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll dismiss. Did you
1: you tell them the disappointing thing that we don't have certificates saying you're not Yeah,
0: you have no certificates. (laughs) So sorry about that. No 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 (laughs) certificate. But, hey, if you go obey the Lord, you'll get a crown in heaven. It'll be good. Let me pray for us. Um, God, we love you, and we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your spirit. We're grateful for your church, Father, that you've called us into. We're grateful that you've saved us, converted us to yourself, Lord, to the church and the mission, and we just pray that we'd be faithful people. We'd be men and women who take the scripture seriously and who walk in obedience to what you've called us to I pray for those in this room who are feeling led to do this, to step into disciple-making of other believers. Lord, I pray that you would equip them and empower them and give them confidence. I pray that they would come to me with questions and come to Bo with questions and come to other leaders in our church with questions, that they would, uh, with humility, just do what it takes to begin to take steps towards obedience in this area. And would you meet them in their pursuit of you, Lord, with yourself, as you always promise to do. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. We praise you. May you be glorified with our lives, now and always. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.